Yo! Hey everybody. Welcome to this is gonna be a fun show. It's like it's not an interview. It's like a dis- we have a discussion panel here. Uh it's a it's a panel of guests. We've got three guests. Uh we're gonna be talking about crypto shit because oh sorry, professional. We'll be talking about P2P. This all started from a tweet from some dude named Zakai. He said the state Zachy, of P2P. Come on, dude. <laughs> dude, just let me be myself. I'm trying Zakai. No, I'm kidding. Zaki. Uh he says the state of P2P is awful. Corey says, if you had to pinpoot the most influential thing contributing to that awfulness, what would you say? Johnny.eth here. Welcome, Johnny. Uh, I'll give you your introduction in just a second. He waved, so you saw that. Uh, he said, uh, it was easy influential people putting unrealistic demands on the P2P layer. <clears throat> and those people not listening to people that tell them there's a problem. Anyways, there's a thread. We're likely going to link this thread. But. Now I want to do some introductions. Uh, we are here with uh, Joseph DeLong, uh, CTO of Astaria and former uh, Sushi CTO. How you doing, Joe? And hey, we're also good deal. Good deal. We're also here with Zach Cole, amateur golfer, handicapped 20, 25, somewhere in there. Welcome, Zach. Hello. And also Johnny Rea. He is a former ETH core dev and a paper rock scissors champion. How's how's it feel to be a paper rock scissors champion? You won with scissors, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean it was a little bit different format. Um, there is some psychology involved, but yeah, we'll go with scissors. I'm glad you kept your cool. Can't be easy to do. A lot of people to beat. But uh, anyways, we're here to talk about the state of P2P and why it's awful. Uh, I'm going to hand the torch to Corey. Yeah, so this started <clears throat> with uh, whoever Larry Stars is asking, what's the main bottleneck of blockchain scaling? And those who listen to the show or know me know that I basically repetitively talk about scaling issues forever. Uh, and Zachy felt like the state of peer-to-peer or P2P is awful. I understand those sentiments. Uh and I was curious about what his opinions were on what part of P2P is awful, right? Like I'm always curious about like their perspective on why they think something is bad, especially when it comes to the context of scaling. And uh, based on the thread that we'll link in the description, Johnny's saying uh, people putting unrealistic demands in the peer-to-peer layer is a really good answer, but I'm curious about the rest of it in terms of who these influencers are what those expectations are and what we've done in the past to try and tell people this is a problem and then not listen. Uh, And apparently, judging by the thread, you've done this a few times. So why don't we start with that? Johnny, who, could you give some context to that tweet? Who are these influential people? What are these unrealistic demands, unrealistic demands on the peer-to-peer layer? Who's not listening and who's told them in the past? So, I mean, Specifically, I mean, the, the most recent example is is um, ETH2. So when like the beacon, when the beacon chain launched, um, I think I think that there were repeated tweets, uh, um, you know, by Justin. I mean, and I, I mean, and for what it's worth, like I get like we have to have deadlines or whatever, you know, um, but deadlines were meant to be broken with hard engineering problems. Um, and it seems like he would set a deadline like, Hey, Bitcoin's anniversary, or, you know, it's, you know, Bastille day or whatever, like whatever the next, like, you know, big event was, he would like set a deadline and be like, Hey, let's be ready by then. Um, and, you know, from like the, maybe the consensus kind of point of view, the consensus layer, like things were solved ish. You know what I mean? Um, that stuff was worked out a lot of stuff like pen and paper, let's say. Um, and you know, they did a bunch of napkin math, you know what I mean? On, you know, the P2P side, you know, basically just, you know, essentially figuring out like, this is the load that we can expect. These are kind of latencies, yada, yada, yada. Um, and you know, I mean, it's, what's the famous quote, you know, like, uh, you know, theory and practice are the same in theory, but in practice, they're different, you know, and, and so it's one thing for, 
you know, for you to work something out on, on paper, but when you actually get like a peer to peer network out, like in a test net, you know, on main net, like stuff goes wrong. Um, and the design for like the design for ETH2, as far as like, you know, how we decided to scale, you know, with validators and attestations, um, it was clear that there was going to be a problem. Um, there was a lot of like actually interesting solutions. Um, some of them sacrificed, um, you know, maybe like privacy, you know, um, you know, to basically kind of get away from maybe like a gossip protocol. Um, and that was unpopular for obvious reasons, you know, um, but it turns out our gossip protocol was not private as it was. And it was extremely trivial to basically tie a validator ID to an IP address. Um, and so we essentially took the work, you know, the worst of both worlds. We used a gossip protocol that was like really, really, you know, very chatty, you know, as far as like the, the messages and attestations we're sending. Um, and, uh, you know, and it also wasn't private. And so, and I would say that like a lot of this stem. So when I say that, like, there was a lot of unrealistic expectations put on the P2P layer, people said things and it was ignored. It's not malicious. These people, you know, like the reason why it's working right now is because there's a lot of like badass engineers, like a lot of them at status, you know what I mean? And, you know, in other groups that are like making the network work right now. However, like when you put that pressure, like publicly to say we're going live at this time and what that causes teams to do is like we tried to round up a group of you know teams like like a kind of a cross-functional team across like different clients to basically work out you know like a um you know a way to you know better test uh you know the network um and ultimately what happened is is you know that tweet went out several of those tweets went out and teams were like, you know what, we can't do this. You know, they have like, um, you know, grants, you know, from the EF that are like um, on the line. Um, you know, they have people to make happy. I get it. And when it came down to it, they're just like, we don't have time to do this. Let's just roll with it. Um, and let's see if we can, can build that parachute or unfold it, you know, as we're jumping out of the airplane. And so say that's, that's, that's kind of where, where I stand on is that like, there's a lot of emphasis put on like, you know, solving, you know, like these problems, like at the consensus level, you know, but like when it comes to there's just as much research and just as much work that needs to be done on the P2P side. And that's just kind of hand waved away. You just figure it'll just work out magically. Um, and, um, and so I guess that would be sort of the root, you know, that's sort of at least the, you know, the, the root of the problem, in my opinion, it's just not enough respect given to, you know, to that discipline. So to take a step back and give our audience some, I guess, context here, we did a series on the architecture of, or lay, like architecture of the different layers of a blockchain network, starting from the computers themselves, then the networking, specifically peer-to-peer -peer networking, how you group these computers together to talk to each other and consensus that sits on top of that. You then use that network to then come to consensus on some information. Then you have your data layer, which is usually what you're coming to consensus on, applications and so on and so forth on top uh, or execution. Um, that gives like, puts I think what you just said in context, like a lot of what ETH2 was trying to do is change the consensus algorithm uh, without enough regard to the real engineering problems in the peer-to-peer -peer layer beneath it. Uh, how did Zach and Joe get roped into this conversation? Have you been bitching them about this for a long period of time or you just wanted to hang out? I mean, they were there, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> we were all working together. Um, was, I think they were at consensus and, uh, I was working with white block. We were, uh, consensus and the EF was one of our clients and we were working on testing the protocol layers and doing a lot of R and D for ETH2 as it was shipping. And that's how we all kind of came together. Yeah, are we going to talk, are we going to touch on just specifically ETH2 or are we going to talk about P2P in general? P2P in general, there's no oh, okay. boundaries great. here. Yeah, then then great. I mean, like <clears throat> if we're going to start there, then then I mean, I think the, the incentives for peer-to-peer -peer are pretty low, right? It's like 
the same reason, yeah. you know, um, torrenting doesn't really, um, it is like mostly one-sided from a seeder, right? And people who are consuming don't necessarily reseed. Um, uh, if I, if I'm, if I'm, um, uh, like forming a, if I'm, if I'm producing a block, right. Like either through like mining or, um, I'm, I'm selected as the block producer. There is, um, that, that individual has, um, incentive to basically propagate blocks. And so, but like for everybody else who's in the network, like, I mean, it's basically misaligned, right? Like what's the, what's the advantage for me propagating a block if a peer connects to me and I share it with them? Like, uh, is this like, it's, yeah, well, it's difficult to align those incentives, I think. What's the incentive to run a node at all if you're not making any money from it, essentially? I mean, you're, you're just paying for it and it, there's no real incentive. They're to not actually run any trivial of costs, and they're not going to. They're not. They're not going to. may have started off that way, but they're certainly not there now, and they're yeah, not going to get smaller as we keep going. Especially as people keep racing to like lower block times, that just increases yeah. state bloat, and so it's there's just going to be an ex, uh, exponential increase in the state size, which makes it harder to run and maintain nodes, and then also makes it prohibitively difficult, if not impossible on a long enough timeline to essentially bootstrap a new node and join the network at all. Like it takes weeks to, to sync a node. Now, um, it was faster for my friend in California to ship me a hard drive with the state on it, uh, than it was to join, join the network. <laughs> um, yeah. That's pretty funny, actually. I think I think that's true yeah. for all things, though, right? Like any any data transmission, it's like a significant chunk um, of data. I mean, but really, in reality, we only need necessary like the users only necessarily need the last block that's in existence. You know, um, proving that the origin of that block is like somewhat of a different problem. Yeah, very much. Like this, the the state syncing issue is assuming you need to start from Genesis in order to be useful. Uh, yeah. And there's an ongoing plethora of attempts to try and mitigate that being the problem. Or like, that's how you would normally join the network, bootstrap, and get up to date and have the full state with, your, with what you're doing. Or even if you need to keep track of the full state as a participant in the network. I like, going back to peer-to-peer, -to -peer, like, how do you... There aren't more resilient networks. Uh, so if we want to have a blockchain maintain a good portion of like the ideals we think about, like or like properties we think about blockchain networks having, we're not, I don't see us moving away from peer-to-peer -peer networks. So we're stuck with making optimizations with peer-to-peer -peer networks. Do you think we can get there? Or are we stuck at this point where uh, we're always going to be in the situation where we have fundamental limitations on the performance of our of the of the base of the network, and we need to keep convincing people that it doesn't get better than this. Stop trying to make it better than this, if you want the same properties. Yeah, I don't think it's an issue with like peer to peer protocols necessarily. I think it kind of stems back to what Joe was kind of implying. It's like there's no incentive to run a node, so the network itself is limited in full nodes. Um, it's concentrated within particular areas or regions or users. There's not a diverse enough user set because there's no incentive to run these nodes for regular people. So, um, because of that, there is this like, you know, uh, like, uh, there's not enough nodes essentially in the network and that creates unreliable network performance. Um, that means that. There's more space between node A and node B. Uh, so it's more affected by latency and packet loss and a lot of the network performance issues that you come across generally. And um, it's just inherently unreliable. So I think a more diverse population of people running nodes and full nodes and so on um, is going to be better. So I think there needs to be an incentive system for people to run those nodes. How would you solve yeah. that problem? So like ordinals spun up a lot of kind of organic, curious people who aren't even, you know, computer literate 
for the most part. They stumbled into the Ordinals Discord server and started, you know, how do I run a Bitcoin full node? Because I saw you can put NFTs yeah. on Bitcoin. I want to do that. Uh, what's the yeah, I guess that's kind or... of an incentive. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the incentives that I was thinking is like, a, like I called like the sub validator protocol. So essentially what that allows validators to do is accept kind of like bundles of transactions from like uh, like full nodes essentially and if that uh, there would have to be some reputation system for uh peers that are submitting bundles of transactions um and that would allow them to share a portion of their validator rewards to users that are submitting transactions to them um, and that's something of an incentive system um there just needs to be some sort of incentive essentially but that's on that's on mempool side right so this is like something similar to like proposer builder separation um yeah. it's kind of like leveraging one for the other um like the problem with the network and why it's poor and unreliable is that there aren't enough there isn't a, a large enough population of full nodes available right um so how do you incentivize people to run those full nodes you want like a rich geographic distribution right so you could do that by sharing a portion of your validator rewards totally i think the the mempool like the mempool solution probably not a p2p solution but like but definitely mempool has a a serious uh like incentive alignment right and you'll see that with like flashbox and and these other like um private mempool systems um i, like I mean the, i think the the problem side... that... yeah, sorry go ahead no 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 keep going i'll i'll jump in after you're done oh uh, it's just like the the incentive alignment is there on mempool but like after a block has been produced the like the propagation of that block and you know well if they're running full nodes if a lot of people are running full nodes, they're going to receive and propagate that block because they're going to be part of that peer-to-peer -peer network. Sure, but there's no explicit requirement that I need to participate in mempool versus, you know, block block propagation. You know. Well, if you're running the software and the client, I mean, yeah, sure. but there's institutional know. there's institutional validators that aren't doing their fair share in the in the peer-to-peer -peer network. Yeah, that's true. That's that's yeah. a whole other can of worms. Yeah, I, I think, and also when you when you when you introduce like incentives, you know, yeah, I mean, you could you could propose a scheme, but now now you get into this arena where like you can start gaming it. Um, there, there also becomes like this, um, you know, like the the scenario where, um, you know, the more hardware you have, the more resources, the you know less, basically, the more that you can benefit from this incentivization mechanism which is inherently in itself a centralizing you know force so it's like i'd like propose one and we could probably come up with a way to game it um so 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 that part is you know like a, a really difficult uh you know problem to solve in and of itself i think um it in itself leads to centralization you know power leads to power money attracts money you know it's it's difficult yeah, I see generally across the industry, um, this maybe over the past year or two, strong push for modularization. Like how do we break up these systems in such a way where we can isolate the roles and make separate networks for specializing in those roles? I don't see a way to change that with peer-to-peer, -peer, yet it being the foundation for all of it. And so anytime you introduce a level of incentivization, it's probably not going to happen at the peer to peer layer, like the gossip sub layer, like how you're performing within whatever gossip sub topics you're a part of other than maybe slashing because you've done something wrong. Mm. Uh, and that's, a, that's a strong change in this, in this incentives model. I mean, at Waku, we've been trying to figure out ways to incentivize peer to peer networks for a long period of time. And we're still working on it, but my intuition says that the incentives come from somewhere up above and you just keep track of your performance of the networking part and retroactively pay out on good behavior or quality participation, whatever the hell that means for whatever network you're in. Like, can you see anything other than that? Like the money's always going to come from somewhere up above. And then hopefully you can track behavior or performance 
with whatever your duties are and reward accordingly? Or can you inject incentives directly into the peer to peer network? I mean, isn't that what data availability sampling is doing, right? Like we're, I'm, I'm basically required, but I, you know, there's no, there's no real requirement for them to propagate the, the thing that was data availability sample. What's that? Jesse was, uh, he was trying to talk. He was muted. He was trying to talk about DAS. Oh, am I? No, no, I just mentioned. No, 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 no. They were they were saying that oh, I was, okay. <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was linking the topic that you talked about earlier, which is there's no incentives around um, kind of block propagation after you know the block proposer um, forms the block and then pushes out out to the rest of the full nodes in the network. Um, when you mentioned that you know Celestia is like you know an example of trying to incentivize additional time for ephemeral, like you know I guess extend the ephemerality. Of the data for you know another two weeks to a month is that kind of in line with what you're thinking in terms of like incentives or at least block propagation or ensuring that the that the data is available yeah I'll, like it, for it, it, in terms of celestia i have to pass because i just don't know enough about like how how it works yeah um yeah we're gonna yeah, create a whole new block propagation <laughs> I mean, if I that's mean, what it is, it's great, right? Like, <laughs> Jesse, you've been but data availability sampled like uh, per, what were they called, like dank sharding or whatever, like is you know an effective solution for ensuring that the data exists. It's not an effective solution for ensuring that the data is properly propagated. I mean, you've been looking at this for a while. Any any thoughts there? I I think that what's what's feasible may be to intertwine the need of data persistence in terms of like you know um when you have when you have a a high throughput you know l1 something like solana where it's not you know tenable for most people to run a full node not only from the hardware requirements perspective but also from the staking uh perspective you can have some sort of um some sort of you know additional data network that to Zach's point where you're kind of almost um, delegating you know data persistence and also you know um, the state to another entirely different network and you kind of bond the two networks together in terms of the incentives that are emitted from the you know the L1s um, like native protocol you know if Solana were to emit you know Sol somehow bind that to the rewards that are emitted from, you know, a data network, something like Celestia. Um, I don't know. But I think the approach to at least dismantle the, the different, you know, layers and kind of incentivize them all together and kind of bond them all together, it makes sense as a direction. I mean, I, I like what y'all are saying as far as like, incentivization or um you know even defining some sort of heuristic for in my opinion that's actually like a really good exercise in general like i mean even if there are problems with it because i think like for a network it's really important to decide like what is it are you valuing are you valuing and like what do we mean by decentralization like and like how important is privacy you know how how important is you know geographic decentralization like let's let's figure out like where on the spectrum we're trying to target um and that's one nice thing about heuristics you know what i mean and incentivization is that it, it it forces you to decide how valuable those things are if you know like how you value those then you can at least begin to design with the correct trade-offs in place whereas i think a lot of times like we have a tendency and and this is myself included by the way is like that we want to we want to start from this very idealistic point of view you know um where we want everything but it's not necessarily possible and a lot of times what happens is is you get so far down in the engineering process where you end up, you end up just making terrible decisions and like the trade-offs aren't rational they're not reasonable um and then and then you spend you know the next five years trying to deal you know either patch that technical debt or you know or or completely fix it and so so i think just starting out with 
realistic requirements, coming to terms with your fears and desires as far as what you want from a decentralized network and going from there is a good place to start, which means that, you know, it probably needs to be in the very beginning, you know, like when you decide what you want your peer-to-peer network to do or, you know, like your protocol to do, um, that needs to be baked in it from the beginning. As, as far as like incentives go, um, and this is probably going to sound like really ignorant, but like money helps, right? Like why can't we just give people money? I mean, I, I have problems all the time that I solve with money. It's holiday season. Amen. I got I got Amazon <laughs> boxes. I got Amazon boxes coming out my ass. But last weekend, I saw this kid riding his bike down my street. I said, hey, let me introduce you to my friend Benjamin Franklin. Gave him a Benji. And now I don't have any more Amazon boxes. I don't even fucking know where they are. I don't care. I'm not so exactly sure what you just did, but oh. <laughs> he, he paid him to take right. his boxes off his porch. <laughs> I paid the teenager to take his of, uh, boxes out of my garage. Hundred dollars. Oh, okay. well, it was a lot of boxes, man. It was yeah. a lot. Hey, of give me a. I'll do most things for a hundred dollars. So. <laughs> I, was I, like, I was like, "Yo, you got a wagon?" And he's like, "Yeah." I said, "All right." So here's all these boxes. I'm gonna do the hard part. I'm gonna break them down. Can you find a dumpster? Because there's construction happening in my neighborhood. Find a dumpster and get these boxes out of here. He's like, sure, no problem. I'm just saying, like, why can't we find a there's a lot of money in crypto? Everybody knows most that. of the time, to answer your question, most of the time incentives come from the underlying protocol emitting some sort of native token, generally. I don't know if that's something that everybody can kind of agree with, but that's kind of how, in my mind, how things kind of broad brush work. And money comes in from outside of the system, right? fiat comes into the system through you know exchanges or through you know peer-to-peer you know trades um and Mm -hmm. then you have liquidity and then you also need you know liquidity and all these different providers to make the system work from the perspective of other people not having to go through that janky you know peer-to-peer dynamic that you probably went through to be one of the first participants Mm -hmm. using your analogy D. Um, you don't have to use that one, man. That's a tough one. It's a pretty good can... analogy, but like the demands you put on that kid for the price you gave him are pretty great. Uh, when you look at, you got a bike and a wagon. Listen, when you put when you when you t- when you use that analogy for what engineering teams get for the problems they're given to solve, um, I'm going to go ahead and say what was said in the beginning of this podcast: deadlines are meant to be broken with hard engineering problems, like. We're trying to solve really hard point. things. And in some cases, the demands that are put on us to solve them are very unreasonable. And so if you're trying to do what Johnny was saying, which was like kind of pick something and run with that first, as opposed to like pick all the things and then try and run with those, it's really, really hard to do. One, to pick the thing you're trying to optimize for and understand the trade-offs. Spam phone call. I hear that. Uh, I, I'm sure Zach can attest with his time at White Block, like testing these systems and sh- proving that they work the way they're supposed to is also really hard. Go ask our distributed systems testing team. They'll also confirm that. Like, like these problems are really hard and we're shooting ourselves in the foot by applying constraints to them that are so ridiculous to make them even harder and then asking your grandma to run it in her house. So like, you can give people money, but you're not going to get what you expect for like 15 years. You have to build something, put it into practice, and then see how it breaks. You know, I, I've often used the like leaky bucket analogy for these systems a lot. Like we build buckets uh, and talk about how awesome they are and talk about the TPS <laughs> or whatever features they may have. And we're talking about an empty bucket because we haven't filled it up. And Ethereum was one of the first filled up buckets, well, Bitcoin. And then Ethereum were the first filled up buckets. And we filled them up. We're like, huh, this bucket's got a lot of holes in them. And now we're mm-hmm. basically simultaneously trying to put bubble gum in the holes while building a new bucket or at least a bucket that can take whatever's coming out of it and do something with it. And so, like, I think that's the natural state of things. You have to build something, try it, fill it up figure out what the problems are and then either try and build a new bucket or fix it if you can. But like, I don't see too many 
like enough optimizations to make these networks run at the pace that the end consumer expe expects with respect to an application performing the way we see mm. regular centralized infrastructure applications. So like, that's probably my question. Can we get there and, or how far can we get and how do we let people know that it's not going to work the way they expect it to, but it's for a reason. And that's mainly like data sovereignty and hopefully privacy at some point. What if like, um, I'm just throwing this out. What if, um, the, the solution lies in like the, the stuff being built, being valuable enough for a, um, novice to get involved like for example allegedly i seeded music for napster when i was a kid allegedly allegedly and i would allegedly take that music and put it on blank cds allegedly according to what was said and sell that at school and then i would take that money and buy cool fat farm clothes i did that allegedly I think the statute of limitations is out on that. You know, <laughs> you know, Lars, <laughs> Lars from Metallica is listening, you know. <laughs> and I allegedly would make good enough money to look fly at school, right, for the ladies. So, uh, you know, I was a novice. I was just a kid, you know, playing my Dreamcast, allegedly doing that too. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. I can make money off this Napster thing because people love music. Let me just spark up some blank CD, uh, CDRW plus minuses. Shout out specs. And like, you know, start making some money. So like maybe like are we focusing just like is there is focusing a lot on this infrastructure? I'm just like, man, I wish somebody would help me pour this concrete or just build a cool ass store. And then people will find a way to put the concrete to the cool ass store. You know, following you this analogy is you almost finished that really well. well so I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, so, there. so this is different uh, than you're, t you're talking about like uh application layer incentive. So like last cycle, yeah. you know, a lot of kids were minting NFTs on Solana, you know, you had like little kids like painting, you know, fingerprint Allegedly. paintings that were going for lots of money. Right. So the incentives are there at the application layer for people to get involved. But what we're talking about is kind of low level infrastructure stuff. Like, Kids won't likely, unli very unlikely that you'll see a kid playing around with, uh, I don't know, lib P2P or something like that, you know, trying to build their own, you know, peer-to-peer -peer client to, you know, I don't know. Okay. It's different. Were you, were, have a have a question about that. Were, you were you saying ah. that like <laughs> the incentives are going to be there so that they run their own node or so that they like build a new protocol that solves? I think D's saying give them a reason. Give them a reason to run their own node. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, okay, I think that's a problem, you know what I mean? But I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, I think there are other problems that come with that. You know, the, remember the, the meme, you know, like run a ETH2 validator on a Raspberry Pi and you have a $500,000, you know, router, you know, in front Data of availability or yeah, blocks root or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's, it, I think it's a good thing. It's great. People are, you know, are running individual validators um i think you know it's eventually like um i don't know i think eventually that leads to some problems but it also leads to problems when um i mean it, i mean that's actually profitable and people want to do that but like if i can run 10 or 100 or a thousand of them you know and then run them in you know ews well now i can i can make a whole lot more money um, and so I just think that those incentives like are ultimately perverse, you know, because it, it leads to, if you take that to its extreme is like it, it leads to situations where, um, we're no longer centralized. We're just all running on, on the cloud and that's not particularly, you know, the desirable outcome. Yeah. Like Rick Dudley came on the podcast a while back and we went into this conversation when we were going through, I don't remember if it was messaging or not, but we talked about this same idea, which is where when you have resources outside of a system and it's just at, at a, at a scale that you dwarf everybody else's, you know, you can buy the ASICs, you can buy whatever, um, whatever the, you know, 
the flavor of consensus the actual chain is. You can just buy your way into becoming a dominant whale in it. So like, I, I think that's your point, right? John? The moment you have incentives, yeah. the moment you have economies of scale. Yeah, right. economies. Of, that's the word I was looking for. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I like the Rick Dudley example because um, <clears throat> Rick Dudley is like solving a problem that is like an engineering problem that we've kind of like ignored in Ethereum, right? It's like, okay, we have the storage trees built into Merkle Patricia trees, and which is great if we want to like propagate data, but is super shitty if we want to retrieve data um, of like any consequence. And so Anchor DB is like, okay, here's a, a, a private, you know, um, I think he's OSS, but I mean, like, here's here's a like a a, a private sector, uh, so to speak, um, like uh, uh, like repair for that. Um, instead of like modifying the base protocol, I think like Flashbots is like um, <clears throat> we've had like kind of a like there's aligned incentives to um, to extract value from the mempool um, at blocks root, right? There's like aligned incentives to <clears throat> be the first to know about a new block if you're uh if you were a, a miner or mm -hmm. um yeah so like some of those things like like when we think about the p2p layer i think it's like the you know the the public library is like yeah it's great but being able to order a book on amazon and have it here in like a day is like a lot better um and and, and that's okay if they like coexist right but like if we punt on every single engineering problem we're going to find out quickly that we have like a lot of just, you know, centralized services that, you know, co coalesce around the um, protocol. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, back to Johnny's point, like, what do you, what do we optimize for? I mean, it, it's network dependent, of course, but if we just stick with Ethereum now, what's the, what's the optimization? Is it? But what is decentralized? So like when you say decentralized, this is, one of the questions they were posing, how do you define the parameters of something that's sufficiently decentralized and start there as how you determine the trade-offs for how you design your network? So if I want three regions, if I want Asia, Europe, you know, North America or something like that, and then I want to also determine the scale, like at which, you know, how many nodes do I want to support? Um, is that fair? Like how, like, is that how we start the conversation? Like what is an ideally decentralized solution for, like if you had to replace, if you had to redo Ethereum and it is what it is today, but you redid it, how would you determine the parameters for the network? Um, I would, uh, I would figure out the budget, um, that I'm willing to spend or my network participants are willing to spend in order to keep, um, Ethereum secure, able to survive, you know, government takedowns, whatever. And then I would uh, build a satellite and launch it out into space. Um, and and <laughs> always with the you know, satellite. As things man. get further, as, as things you know, as, as as it becomes more cost effective, I'd keep pushing it out further and further. Um, and and then I would have relays, you know, that are spread out, um, so we can distribute them across, you know, space and you know, in time. And we just make it really, really expensive. And time. We're time traveling here. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm half kidding. But I mean, you're yeah. that's, that's, we're gonna I'll... send a node back to the future. That's what I would do. Quantum tunneling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, I. But I. I think you just have to figure out like what. I mean, what it is. What do you? What are we valuing? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, I like if y'all remember like. I keep sorry. I keep bringing up ETH two, but like there was this um, uh, people, ha you know, love to like cite this like World War three. You know, it's yeah, uh, liveness. Liveness was the term that we used in reference. Yeah, to and that. It, it wanted to be able to survive World War three. You know, and so like if even if there is this like massive network partition, um, whether it was because of a nuke or a government, you know, saying no or whatever like eventually the network could heal itself you know and you know and start finalizing blocks again um i guess yeah and if, censorship resistance yeah and and so i guess i guess start there like what are we trying to what are we trying to accomplish um and 
and then you design your consensus protocol to respect those um and and simultaneously you work with your your i think your 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 networking engineers to determine like okay you know if, if this is our consensus protocol like this is the these are the messages that we're gonna have to pass you know back and forth um you start experimenting you know like you you build it together um and you're gonna have to iterate a lot and i think that's the way you go but you're gonna have to pick a point i don't think it's gonna i mean if i'm being honest i don't think it's really possible i mean like i like I, i'm not saying it's not fun and and i don't enjoy it um but i will say that like you know there are like famous revolutionaries you know that have said we need revolution every couple hundred years so just because like you build something and it doesn't last forever doesn't mean it wasn't worth it you know what i mean mm -hmm. it maybe 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 it's a fundamental law of the universe that centralization is going to happen we also have to be willing to like start over oh um, gee I didn't say anything. What are you talking about? Why, why are you saying that's that? been a moniker of D's since we started podcasting in 2015. It's like it always leads back to centralization. I like the way you, I like the way you spit, Johnny. I do. You spitting fire right now. I, I thought y'all were gonna just kick me off for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, there's I, the same thing. Centralization I, with respect to what? Right. Whenever you have, when you want to, when you want to optimize a system with respect to performance, you're gonna need to centralize it. Period. But like Definitely. more often than not, we balance something. Uh, we are optimizing with a specific constraint that it has to be X decentralized or like it needs to be run at home or whatever it is. And so defining those constraints is the most important thing. And Bitcoin yeah. is an excellent example that they basically can like forever, you know, famously constrained on block size. Um, and they're like, the as I understand it, their, their core engineers, like motivation was, you know, anybody should be able to sync a Bitcoin node at home. Um, <clears throat> I haven't synced a Bitcoin node recently, but I like it's still pretty fast. From 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 then, I remember it being you know somewhat successful of like you know a day or you know like um, ten tens of hours to sync a Bitcoin node um, on a Best Buy computer. Longer. <laughs> longer it's, it's longer than that now, but it's it still seems good. to be magnitudes better than Ethereum. Yeah, but and it's Ethereum is like, right? It's takes it's, like three weeks to a month for like a archive node, if not longer. And, it, and then for a Bitcoin, Chase Wright, it's like five if, days, four days. If Chase Wright just stopped, you know, posting snapshots of Ethereum on on right? uh, on private, say what? Uh, uh, Chase Chase Wright right. is a. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if he stopped posting, you know, um, uh, snapshots on pirate bay or whatever like i don't i don't know i mean we could probably sink it you know prune something hmm. in, in a few weeks but you know it's pretty nice psa by the way um for those who watch this and are running ethereum validators are cutting up on the uh two terabyte limit uh for unpruned ethereum validators for the execution layer so if you're running and like a, like an old geth node that doesn't have the new pruning or schema like you're going to run out of space so i want to think mm. about migrating soon i uh need to go check on my node <laughs> i'll be right back i don't run uh, validators this show is uh it's probably a good time to say the show is brought to you by western digital uh you can get 15 percent <laughs> off coupon by using the no kidding. Okay. Uh, I thought you were serious uh, at first. I, I was like, that's smooth as fuck. I wish our transitions were that smooth. Uh, where we had Raid uh, Shadow Legends. I have a Western <laughs> digital chain if that were the case. Thank <laughs> you for my neck. No, you should have um, gone NordVPN, really. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, well, to expand on Jesse's question, it was a great question. Like, yeah, if you if you could do ETH over again, what would you prioritize, Zach? What would you prioritize? You said censorship resistance, um, but you you know you just blurted it out. But uh, you know, what would yeah. you prioritize to make it different than it is today? Hmm, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I think working on um, like a more reliable. Um, 
gossip protocol would probably be better. Maybe something that's not as noisy. I probably would have maybe maintained the larger block time. Um, I'm not really, I'm still kind of like confused as to why everyone's going after these, like why this paradigm of like TPS has become such like an important metric. Um, so I, I don't think I would prioritize any of that stuff. I think I would just deprioritize a lot of things. <laughs> In lieu of what? Uh, something that's like simpler, more accessible, less state bloat. I think having something that like larger blocks, longer block times um, is probably going to buy a lot of time. Um, that's partially why it's mm -hmm. a, a lot easier for Bitcoin to sync. It's easier to sync a, bit, a Bitcoin node than it is an Ethereum node just because it's much less state with the longer block times. That has to times. do with um, what state is for the two different networks, one being, you know, historical state of contracts variables, yeah. just UCXO. Uh, yeah, UCXO is much simpler. Um, um, there's also this, what was I going to say, concept of like uh, the trend towards the layer one being a settlement layer and most stuff happening elsewhere. Uh, so the, the, the base layer being more ossified and doing less and being more, uh, resilient tends to be the trend of most of the larger chains and even some of the like new up and comers that are making new things. They just do less. Like look at like a Celestia or um, what are the other ones? Penumbra or I forget what they're all called off the top of my head. Uh, like data availability layer basically is what you're looking for. And then you offload execution or whatever the hell else you want to something else as long as you have some very robust base layer. And that's what Ethereum is doing as well with data availability and the layer two narrative. And Bitcoin's always kind of done that. They've just been forced into it because they don't do much. Um, they're, they're not capable of doing much until some of the more recent changes with Taproot and stuff. So like, I feel like, like you said, we have this weird hypocrisy as, a, as an industry, prioritizing a metric like TPS while building for something that doesn't give a shit about what's going on at the base layer. It, it also creates a really convenient opportunity for, you know, VCs to, you know, and people to benefit off new token drops for new L2s, you know? Um, yeah, historically, that's worked out, too. though. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, that's that's totally it. It's like <clears throat> we're seeing... <clears throat> we're seeing like the privatization of, of, of scaling essentially is like, you'll see that with, you know, private mempools, um, you know, uh, L L2s where there's kind of like some sort of like token drop involved. It's just like slowly, if we, if we ignore the engineering problems, we're, we're just becoming, um, you know, privatized. How do you come back? So that? what would be, yeah. What's, and what's the difference between privatization and centralization? I actually don't object to privatization for like from a standpoint of like if I'm go if I'm going through you know like I think of like the like the flash pots is like the fast pass lane you know like if if like I'm willing to you know I'm willing to accept that then I you know I I get kind of like waved through and more reliable experience. Where do you um, stand on net neutrality? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, uh, I, yeah, I would, I would preserve net neutrality actually. Um, uh, but, but like, uh, um, but like in, in, in like <clears throat> decentralization is like, uh, I think of it a lot of ways is like, sometimes it's like decentralization of the control, right? Like, um, for instance, if you were to look at like a story is backend, there's like much centralization in there but like, we're not able to act on your behalf, right? That's like part of what the network is doing is like, you are, um, the, the, the control aspect is, is the decentralized part. I can't act. Like you don't have, without. you don't have custody of their funds. Right? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And, and like, but like, but we have signed messages that, that, you know, people sign and send to our back end, and, you know, we're, we're holding those for, you know, when there's somebody who wants to, uh, 
wants to originate a new a new loan that we that we pass forward um but you know we couldn't have done anything without their you know their permission so i see that as like centralizing factors for some of this as long as we can kind of like have a you know there's like the regular line for for the roller coaster then there's the fast pass lane like i'm completely happy with that but if we're gonna if we're gonna improve it like like uh, really improve it i think um uh, uh this is going way back but i think that the solution is is um at least some sort of like time component to storage it doesn't make sense that storage should exist from now until eternity um that uh that storage um can be brought in like basically like if you think of the way like uh, caching works in any system it's like if i'm going to access something i have i have to bring it out of like main memory or, or even storage, right? Got to bring it out of storage into main memory, bring it into L1, L2, L3, or whatever. And for that comes a cash busting cost, right? Like it comes with some value. And so if I want to transact some dynamic state, right? Um, I, I, I should have to bring it, you know, I have to bring it kind of like up into the layer to transact with. Um, and then over time, that kind of like that, that state gets switched out, right? Like, um, so that that's where the sinking problems come start is like, you know, I, I suddenly now that I'm on, you know, block, whatever it is right now, um, I need to know about, you know, the, the shitty, you know, ERC 20 that Joe deployed in, you know, 2017, right? Like why it has like, it's like almost non-germane to like anything that we could be transacting on. We need kind of like a, a tier system for storage where, um, that we can bring it in. Like, um, if I want to transact on it, then I have to kind of like bring it out of storage, prove where it is, um, bring it up into a place that I can transact. And there's some cost to that. So if I'm, let's say I'm transacting on Uniswap, I'm like a, a ETH USDC pool, something that happens more frequently, right? That will that will already be in cash and will be much cheaper. Um, but if I want to like transfer the Alamo token that Joe made in 2017, like. And it's going to cost you because it's like we got to pull it out of storage. Nobody else is using it. That sort of stuff. You know what's interesting? Like to to piggyback off of that idea that you're throwing out there is we're just kind of like rebuilding a computer, but modular and shittier that we all share. And everybody <laughs> knows this. I mean, especially with like the ZK CPU stuff, like and the ZK coprocessor stuff. Like we're getting to the point where we'll be able to do, you know, verifiable execution on this kind of shared computer where we can let that be, you know, um, centralized, at least that compute uh, for the proof generation. But then, you know, in terms of verification, anybody can run it, I guess. But we definitely are. Well, that's yeah, the we main point. To... That word shared is the main point. Let's, let's agree to call kinda... the third world computer. You know. It's kind of like your Twitter bio right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, at some point, it just seems like bike shedding. I feel like, is any of this even necessary? Or did Bitcoin just already solve all these problems? And now we're just over-engineering. Oh, I still can't do things that I do on Ethereum on Bitcoin. Yeah, but in those things you do on Ethereum, Ethereum, do they really... Do they really do well, anything for you, thing, right? so like, are you just are you just losing money <laughs> that's the natural state of things right so like when I, I did a talk on this back in when was it at the texas bitcoin conference uh a long time ago um and it's, that's the natural trend of things is we got a new toy bitcoin gave us this new toy of like permissionless distributed computing and we ran with it because back then the narrative was like, we're going to take over banks and replace the financial system and all this ridiculous nonsense associated with what Bitcoin could do at the time and what we thought we could do with Bitcoin at the time. And everyone's like, I'm going to decentralize everything. Everything's going to be decentralized. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to work great. Does and it we, need to be? Full pendulum swing to the right. We're like, fuck centralization in all, in all cases. There's no situation where a central thing's good. And yeah. that's clearly not how the world works or how it should work and how... Yeah. relationships work with various business models or whatever. And so like, it's really in between and we're still trying to figure out back and forth, this pendulum swing on where it's supposed to be and how that tech yeah. looks in the process. And, and 
Ethereum was a really good example because it lowered the barrier of entry with throwing decentralized things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Turns out I'm decentralizing my morning routine. Yeah, like <laughs> turns out none of this stuff sticks, but people tried and some made a lot of money off the attempt and failed miserably and they ended up making a lot of money. But like, that's just how it goes. And we're going to keep doing it more and more and more. We may be moving back to like recentralizing a bunch of stuff at the cost of privacy. Uh, or censorship resistance, for that matter, for performance. But I think it's 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 natural, and we'll continue to do it. Yeah. I mean, for, what it for what it's worth, I like, uh, like, you know, for all of you know. I mean, by the way, like hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, and like in Ethereum, like throughout its evolution, is you know, is um has you know made some questionable trade offs. However, what I really like is like. Like there are a, there are a bunch of badasses working on it, and like they are trying to make it work, and I think that's worth something. Like, let's see yeah. how far we can push this thing. Like, I mean, they made some like really really ruthlessly practical trade offs in order to make proof of stake come online. Um, you know, some of them are are crazy. You, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a pain in the ass to run. You know, the execution layer and the consensus layer, and you know, and you have the lib P 2 P network and like the old dev p2p network running but like they did it in the they took the shortest possible path this ruthlessly practical way of getting there and they're like okay let's see if we can keep this thing going you know and and i think i think well maybe like if i, th I think anyone who's like you know if they were to like redesign it all they'd probably like do it a different way but i think there's also like some value in solving some of those problems on the fly you know and seeing where they go because like Mm -hmm. maybe we won't mess it up next time, you know, um, when the wheels come off. I mean, if the wheels come off, sorry. I'm <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Isn't, it, isn't it interesting, too, as we go along, that the, that the protocols become more and more ossified? Like, I feel like the number of EIPs that we will um, incorporate into a hard fork is, like, becoming, like, diminished over time. Yeah. Um, and our our like risk tolerance has become uh, incredibly more conservative than it was before. Whereas like that was like being the crappy uh, <laughs> the crappy being the scrappy upstart was like the was the yeah. you know the mo and and that was like you know led to a lot of success. But now um, there's kind of like hesitation to yeah. Well, because there's more at stake now. Totally. Literally. Yeah. I see what you did there, Corey. Yeah. I mean, we've never had a chain haul, so that's pretty, pretty excellent. Come pretty oh, I also tried too much stuff, and it's like, yeah, it turns out mm -hmm. like that's better offloaded to a different context of group people. Like, Dick, when you mentioned um, the, the 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 state time scenario, Joe, in terms of like modeling after a real computer, and when you're dealing with something that's old and less contextual to the to the whole, paying for it and retrieving it from someplace. That's the same thing for like, there's, there's two problems there. One is the time problem. Like how old is this and how often does people need to use it? Uh, less access stuff can be archived and then retrieved in a different format. So it's not, doesn't need to be handled by everyone all the time. Then you have the concept of everyone in the entire network handling every single thing all the time. Um, that's mm -hmm. like, that's sharding is the general term for that, right? Or state sharding. Uh, and those two problems, I think we've come to realize are, it's, it's not realistic to have everyone handle everything for all time. Yeah. And we tried it and it doesn't work. And we're coming up with novel solutions to migrate away from it or build new systems that don't do it in the first place. I mean, that's the whole modular movement, right? You're kind of taking this idea that everybody has to replicate everything, including all the resources consumed to, all right, let's break it out so that Hey, you can run the data component. You can run the you know execution component. Um, I feel like you're going to introduce a CAS system where, based on your geography and your resources, you're going to be like lower down the kind of abstraction of the computer stack. If there is that sort of thing that will happen, and like, I guess the people who have the lesser resources will be running like data and they'll run like hard drives you know and like as you go up like you'll have people who can run ssds nvmes for the data layer and they'll have potentially more uh value in terms of the retrieval speeds 
that, you know, people can use them as, you know, kind of, you know, if you have like a storage solution, like a storage protocol, and then you have, you know, people who are running hard drives versus people who are running SSDs, you know, in some sort of, you know, ZFS pool, uh, in terms of the data that is allowed to, you know, or that is incentivized to exist on these people running, you know, different, different uh, tiers of, you know, storage read write speeds, you're going to create this sort of, you know, artificial CAS system where you're, you're not probably going to have a lot of the rewards go to the people who are not running something that's really performant for all the different pieces. You're just having a lot of middlemen created for the different computer pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, that that is like uh, so the the uh, the alternative, right? <laughs> like I think this is like a, a communism versus capitalism like uh, analogy, right? Because like in this system, we kind of have like a a tiered system in which we like aggregate up the stack, right? Um, but like in in like our current model is just uh, ignoring capitalistic realities and forcing everyone on the network to have equal hardware. Or in the case of like something like Solana, it's like forcing everybody to have extremely high-end equal hardware, right? It's like, um, yeah, maybe maybe a modular system creates kind of like um, incentives to kind of, uh, yeah, to yeah to, to kind of like work, work your way up the stack rather than, you know, explicit equality across the board. I think archival data will be worth less than current state, especially when the functions performed on current state are worth more money. Yeah, but eventually the, the proles will rise, you know what I mean? When that archive mm. state becomes so so needed, you know. Right. They strike are always they, needed. Yeah. Yeah, something I, like I, I had something that was like from way back, like maybe it was my first ETH transfer, right? And then I need to like, you know, I need now it's, you know, 20 years later, I need to bring that forward. Well, that's like, and there's like two dudes on the planet who have it, right? That's going to be definitely valuable. Hmm. I mean, even financial data has a, after like seven years, people stop giving a damn unless you're a massively large corporation and you're, you know, you have public ties, then people give a damn. Thanks, Kerr, for, for like 20, so. Yeah, most businesses, it's like seven years. Shows your performance and it's all anyone gives a shit about. So, <clears throat> but anyways, I don't know. I, well, I think. I mean, charting, like that's always a pain in the ass and that requires historical data pulled from archive nodes uh building charts how to do that that sucked um but yeah that's mm -hmm. that's pretty necessary for most trading activity or even just portfolio management if you're yeah. own personal, personal portfolio management where's the way back machine gonna live on that you know yeah <laughs> you guys are all in DeFi right around. now right what's that what's that Oh, I guess. Are we yeah, all in DeFi? Wanna... Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. We, we all yeah. gave up on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here talking shit now. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I think every. Uh, yeah, we're the, um, you know, the armchair quarterback on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we moved on from protocol stuff to strictly yeah. finance. <laughs> everyone was just like. Everyone realized there's no incentive in being a protocol engineer. I can make how much money doing this? Okay. Yeah. Oh, we could just launch shit coins? Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I'm not actually building P2P networks anymore, but let me give you all my opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was a, I, I did my PhD in, in physics, and, and more often than not, we had to do these like weekly seminars. And I think invariably, um, someone would come and give a seminar. Don't care how much clout they had, alkalites didn't matter. Um, invariably, at the end, when people give questions, someone would basically say, I'm not an expert in this, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Like every single time. And I feel like that's a lot of uh, what happens from protocol people who move on because they like, they felt the torment of trying to solve these problems and the lack of incentives for doing them. And they have a lot of opinions on them, but they just don't feel like working on it anymore. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. I think, right? Like <laughs> they're hard. They're really yeah, hard problems. So. And you have things that work 
reasonably well. That's a nice ghost that ran past you, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's yeah, we can wrap up. That's probably a good way to good wrap up. Uh, why don't we give some closing statements from each of y'all? You have something to say, sure. something to shout out, somebody to uh, say thank you to or whatever, uh, starting with, with Joe. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> I, I hadn't planned any speech or anything, but, uh, you know, shout out to Saria and, and uh, you know, we're, we're just grinding on and, and building some new and interesting things. Um, and I think you'll see some uh, interesting announcements about us before the end of the year. Um, I think, uh, like, I would, but like, I wouldn't rather... Uh, I wouldn't be any place else than in DeFi or in uh, P2P or in Web3. I think as a space, this is like the most exciting and interesting thing that could be happening um, in the world right now. And I feel lucky to have been born at a time in which I can participate in it. Nice. Johnny? Yeah, I mean, I guess shout out to, you know, to all the, the core devs that are still grinding through it. Um, I have no affiliation with this organization, but like Protocol Guild for trying to solve um, the problem of, you know, making it worth it for protocol devs to stay, you know, in the game. Um, I would like to get back in the game as soon as I have enough money to start launching satellites, I will. Um, <laughs> Go yeah, um, yeah, all the all the soldiers that are still, you know, still grinding away. Shout out to them. What was that? <laughs> Sounded like Kid Cuddy. <laughs> yeah. uh, Zach? Uh, I don't know. Shout out to my portfolio companies. <laughs> Good luck on that handicap. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. That was fun. All right. Cheers. All right. Cheers, Bye. Bye.